I'm a handshake tater. I'm a spud with a plan. I'm a miracle that's greater day by day. I ain't your average quitter. I don't put up with golf. I'm doing the best I can. The drum tater. Welcome back to the Trump Tater today with Jamie Renda and Brian Hyde. Thank you, Brian, for being with us today. Jamie, it's an honor and a pleasure. <laughs> well, we have uh, a few topics to talk about today, but we're going to start the day off talking about our Trump Tater hot takes. So for those here in Utah, you can appreciate this, but I think everyone outside of Utah can appreciate this as well. So I want to talk about one of my favorite people here in Utah, and that's our lovely Lieutenant Governor Spencer Cox. Um, As many of you know that I started an organization to try to encourage John Huntsman to do a write-in campaign after um, our primary turned out, and Spencer Cox won by 36% of the Republican vote. And uh, so now you're starting to see why that was so important to me. So Spencer Cox, Brian, did you read Spencer Cox's tweet? I saw it, yeah. So (laughs) edgy, so salty. I know, he's something. So Spencer Cox, this is his tweet on Ruth Bader Ginsburg. RBG was a badass, and I want to be a lot more like her. That was his second tweet, wasn't it? Yeah, (laughs) I I figured we'd just stick with that one. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but it was funny because he, he took heat. Um, people criticized him. All he said, and, and you know, it's, it, far be it for me to stand up for, for Spencer Cox because I'm really not a fan of, of his. But all he said was, look, despite our differences, I think she was an amazing person. And people just jumped all over him. Well, so you have to say you had differences and so forth. And that was his answer to pander. You know, <laughs> so here, well, OK, well, then let me let me do this, you know, tap dance for you. Yeah. I, I'd hate to stand up for him as well, <laughs> but but on that, I, I think I think one of the reasons he gets it from the, he got it from the left and the right on that, and I think is because so many people have such a bad taste in their mouths for Spencer Cox, and uh, so anyway, but again, even the tw- the tweet he made on her originally, he's never and, and granted Trump hasn't died, so if Trump did die, I'd like to know what Spencer Cox would tweet about him. But uh, in all the years that Trump's been in office, he's never even said, despite our differences, I really admire him for this. Or despite our differences, he really excelled at this. Have you ever heard him say anything positive about Trump? Um, no. But then again, I, I just I don't let Spencer Cox spend a whole lot of time living rent free in my brain. I would charge <laughs> too much for a storage fee. Um, because he's a politician and, and politicians say, you know, they want to mirror back what they think you and I want to hear. And that's that's one of the reasons why I'm, I'm really not a Spencer Cox fan. Yeah, he's a chameleon. Well, yeah, well, he's about to live rent free here in a few months in our governor's mansion. And uh, so if it, if it wasn't for that, I wouldn't let him occupy space in my thought process, too. So one one of the things after um John Huntsman decided not to run. Um, I decided to kind of push out. And so, again, if you live here in Utah and you don't care for Spencer Cox, I mean, the odds are he's going to be our governor. But we need to make sure he wins by the smallest margin possible. What is your thought on that, Brian? You know, I've heard you I've heard you explain this on your show before. um, And I I agree. It, It would be very handy if he couldn't point to anything as a mandate. But, you know, even if he wins by a fraction of one percent. He's going to say, there's my clear mandate. The people of Utah want this, and he'll proceed with business as usual. Yeah. And I think I, most I, politicians yeah. are like that. They are. I mean, a win is a win, but uh, I still believe that if he wins by a smaller mandate, right now, when I was pushing for the John Huntsman write-in, um, Peterson was getting about 17% of the vote on a poll, which would mean Spencer Cox would win at 80% to 20% ratio. We can't have that type of mandate. And uh, so whether it's just throwing your vote to Peterson, not because we want him to win, but to balance it out, or looking at some of these write-ins or the um, libertarian candidates, have you heard anything on these other candidates running? I haven't. No. Okay. Well, no. Is, are, there I, any, are there any that, I mean, if other than, I know John Huntsman was, was kind of the, the person that you had, had put some hope in, him stepping up. Um, 
any any other candidates that have stood out to you? You're much more informed yeah. on this, Jamie. Oh, we, we had a candidate on last week, uh, Christina Collin, and she's running as a write-in. I don't feel Christina has uh, any chance of winning. So that's why one of the reasons I kind of really stood behind John is he really had a legitimate chance of winning a write-in. Uh, I don't feel, then we have our, our mask lady, that uh, her whole campaign is on, you know, being upset about mandated mask, which I, th- I, th- I think that's not, a you know, if that wants to be one part of your um your campaign, that's one thing, but that's her, I'm trying to think, what is her name, Madeline? Oh, yeah. Actually, yeah. I'll, I'll admit, she's impressed me more than, than most. And not, yeah, just, not just because of the mask issue, but just she, uh, she seems to be actually willing to listen to, to the people around her. I don't see that from a lot of candidates. Well, the one thing that got me on her, because we kind of went rounds on Facebook when I was doing my push for John Huntsman, is she threw in this um, John Huntsman is a pedophile or associated with pedophiles because he was in Jeffrey Epstein's little black book. And this came directly from her. And I said, wow. I said, is, are we ever going to have any good people run for office when we throw these type of accusations out there so carelessly? And so that that disappointed me. I told her, I said, you know, I could have, I could have written you in prior to that statement, <laughs> and uh, and she tried to justify that. So that was the thing that turned me off on her. But I did hear the libertarian uh, candidate could be someone we could consider. And who but, is that? Oh, man, if you hadn't asked me that, I could have told you. Um, well, you'll know next week because we're having him on. <laughs> so, but again, none of these candidates probably have any chance of really winning. But it's someone to throw your vote towards if you feel like you have to mar- mark the box. Um, but you don't have to mark the box. So if you're out there and you're, please go out and vote for Trump. Make sure that we have a, a resounding win here in Utah for Trump. But that doesn't mean you have to mark the box for um, for governor spot. So anyway, well, on to, because I'd like to refer to Spencer Cox as Mini Mitt. And uh, he is definitely our mini mitt. So for those of you outside of Utah that are listening, I think you can make that connection of why we don't care for Spencer Cox, because his relationship with Mitt Romney is very tight. And his attitude towards our president is aligns that with Mitt Romney. Would you agree with that, Brian? They're both chameleons. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, on to Mitt, because we have some big news in our Supreme Court uh, with Ruth Bader Ginsburg passing away over the weekend. And uh, so what was your first thought on Mitt Romney on that? Did you immediately wonder if he would support President Trump? Um, No, but uh, at the same time, I wasn't surprised when I saw that uh, he had released some kind of a statement saying that uh, he he likely, you know, would would not want to to have another justice seated, you know, before the election. I thought, so, okay, that's, that's par for... I'll give Mitt this. He's consistent when it comes to his opposition to, to <laughs> Trump. He is consistently against whatever Trump is for. Exactly. And, and, you know, I would give Mitt Romney a couple of kudos if he was consistent in his morality stance on everyone. But his, uh, his righteous self, um, self-righteousness on that only applies when it comes to President Trump. Uh, he doesn't seem to have any moral conscience when it comes to anybody else committing any type of crimes. Uh, just like last week, and we talked briefly on this, that he's opposed to uh, us looking into Ukraine further with Hunter Biden. Joe Biden, have you ever have you ever heard Mitt Romney criticize any leader outside of Trump? Not within recent memory. No, that yeah. seems that seems to be his one trick. I mean, even when he was running against Obama in 2012. He was not critical of Obama. <laughs> so, uh, and, and so I don't know how you win an election if you can't criticize some of, some of your opponent's uh, shortcomings. And uh, he was not even critical of Obama to any significant stance, especially in that last debate. So here we have someone who ran for president last debate, did not criticize his opposition, but every step of the way has criticized Trump. So we're going to continue on that as we go into our next segment on uh, Mitt Romney, his opposition uh, to our president. And I've kind of teased with this a little bit, but I'd like to talk a little bit more in depth of why I feel Mitt Romney has been determined every step of the way to be critical of our president. And, And then get into a little bit of how this is going to apply in the nomination process of a new Supreme Court justice. 
I know Romney didn't waste a whole lot of time um, after he was seated in the in the U.S. Senate to to issue an op-ed, you know, a scathing uh, denunciation of, of Trump. That he was, was not even seated yet, Brian. That was yeah. the day before. Oh. <laughs> so he was not even seated. Burning his bridges before he crosses them. Yeah. And so that was an intentional uh, heads up. This is who I'm going to be. Watch out. Here I come. And uh, and I was a state delegate back then, Brian. So anyway, we'll talk more on that on the Trump haters. We come back and discuss more of our lovely Senator Mitt Romney from Utah and our soon-to-be Governor Spencer Cox. Balance of Nature, changing the world one life at a time. I've had a lot of really great days back to back, which has been a huge blessing. Even my doctor told me, because uh, they asked me to bring everything in that I take on a daily basis, he was very encouraged by seeing what I was taking. And he, he said he didn't care how many I had. You know, he said it's food. And the form that at the end was something that he was very, because uh, he's an avid learner and he's always researching and uh, he's, he's always excited to see new things. And he told me this would be good. This will help you immensely with the nutrition that you need. Experience the Balance of Nature difference for yourself. Right now, Balance of Nature is offering free shipping and 35% off on any new preferred order. Start your journey to better health today by calling 1-800-2468-751 or by going to balanceofnature.com. And make sure to receive this special radio offer by using discount code USA. The healthcare enrollment period has just ended. Did you miss it? Don't go a whole year without having a health care program. Sign up for Liberty Health Share today. As a Christian health care sharing ministry, they are not insurance. So you can still sign up. There's no open enrollment period. You can sign up now and you can pick the program of your choice. You get to select your doctors and your hospital. They have programs for single individuals, for couples, and families. Best of all, there are no contracts. And plans start at only $199 per month. Go to libertyhealthshare.org backslash Joe Carey. That's libertyhealthshare.org backslash Joe Carey, K-E-R-R-Y. Wade Alaroot for Cornerstone Asset Metals. In the last six months, trillions of dollars have been printed out of thin air, drastically diluting your buying power and future standard of living. Today, you have only one choice. Protect and preserve your future savings and standard of living. Protect your retirement. Protect your children's future. How do you do that? With precious metals. Back in 1970, a paper dollar and a silver dollar were equal in value. Today, your paper dollar buys less than half a gallon of gas, while a silver dollar buys over 10 gallons. More proof positive that gold and silver protect your wealth and future buying power. Take advantage today. Roll over a portion of your IRA or 401k into a precious metals IRA. Only for Wayne Alleroot listeners, Cornerstone will waive all transfer costs up to $1,000 value. So you'll open a precious metals retirement account for no cost. No one else in America is offering this deal. Don't delay. Protect your wealth now. To register for more information, call 888-8-GOLD-NOW. 888-8-GOLD-NOW. Or go to cornerstoneassetmetals.com. Welcome back to the Trump Tater. Today with me is Brian Hyde, uh, filling in for Dallin. And uh, just going to wrap up this uh, segment on Spencer Cox with a couple of more fun tweets that Spencer gave and to show you this connection he has with Mitt Romney. But start right after the election. Uh, Spencer Cox's wife tweeted this, and then Spencer Cox felt the need as lieutenant governor to retweet it. He says, well, congratulations, GOP. This is your repulsive, repugnant, evil, vomit-inducing nominee. Maybe next time the Dems will be so st- <clears throat> will be as stupid and put up honey boo-boo, and we can just resort to mind-numbing, IQ-dropping, depraved reality TV of our political leaders. God help us all. So, did, had you ever read that one? Nope. I, I do see, I see um, 
Spencer Cox's tweets on occasion, but um, gosh, I just I don't resonate with the guy. And and frankly, when when I do see what he's saying, it, it always seems to be um, he's angling for some you know political advantage. He's he's far too much the consummate politician, like Mitt Romney, and and don't take this wrong, but it sickens me. Yeah. <laughs> So anyway, another another tweet Spitzer uh, put out is, I would vote for Mitt if I ran against Mitt. And uh, he had several others just talking about his complete adoration of Mitt Romney. And uh, so another one, he said, can't tell you how liberating it is not to support Trump. Mitt Romney was right. It's really easier to sleep at night. And the last one is, I think Trump finishing a distant third here in the state would be the exact message to send. So I believe the exact message to send send to Spencer Cox at this point, since we're left with no other message, is just a very small win. Do not not vote for Spencer Cox. Fill in, again, if you want to counteract it, uh, fill in Peterson. I'm not advocating for Peterson. I don't want Peterson to win. However, that does counteract the vote and make it a little bit closer. Put your vote towards a third-party candidate or just don't vote at all when it comes to Spencer Cox. So on to Mitt Romney. And uh, so we'll, we'll talk a little bit about the four senators who we're all really watching right now. Susan Collins is the only one I think is somewhat legitimate in her, in her position because she's really fighting a, a a race for her life as far as regaining her uh, seat in the Senate. And as much as I don't care for Senator Collins on a lot of issues, I really admired her having the courage to stand up uh, for uh, Brett Kavanaugh a few years ago. Did you watch that battle that mm-hmm. took place, Brian? I did. So Susan, for the position she's in, I thought that took it was very courageous and it was the right thing to do. And I think she is a woman of principle. Um, so right now, I would like to see Susan Collins keep her seat. It's very crucial for us to hold the Senate. Um, so I can somewhat justify Susan coming out with the position that she's came out with. However, Lisa Murkowski, man, I just don't even know what to think about Lisa on this one. Because I don't feel there's any justification for Lisa to step out on this. And she's a smart woman. And it's not anything to do with 2016. 2016... Uh, we own the Senate as Republicans, and there is something to be said that uh, on a win, and when you win, you do control those things. So it wasn't just because it was Obama's last year or it's um, Trump's last year before the election. It's because who holds the Senate? Who has the power in the Senate to bring these nominations up for a vote? And uh, and that's really what it's about. Unfortunately, in the selling of that, you had some senators make some stupid comments. They should have just said, hey, we don't have to. <laughs> and, uh, but instead, a, a few people said, you know, well, if it was, you know, I, I think uh, Senator Graham was one that made some comments, you know, that he wouldn't do it in the future either. Uh, if it was an, a Republican president, now he's having to backtrack a little bit on those comments. But then I, I think he was able to uh, justify doing so based on what happened to Brett Kavanaugh and, uh, and saying he's going to support Trump on this. But the, the bottom line really goes to, Obama was the president. He had every right to nominate somebody in 2016, but the Senate had every right not to move on that nomination. What is your thought on that, Brian? Um, I'm still trying to remember. Was it Murkowski that uh, was cornered in that photograph by Diane Feinstein during Kavanaugh's? Yeah. Uh, that was her. Okay. <laughs> yeah, and, I, um, and she actually didn't vote for Brett Kavanaugh, if my memory is correct on that. Interesting. Yeah. I. She, Jamie, how did we get to where one person dying allegedly alters the entire course of government in this land? I don't think our government was set up like that in the first place, but somehow the Supreme Court has has become a focal point of power, and I don't think it was supposed to be that way. Well, I I mean, I can see why it is a focal point of power, because uh, there's so much that the Supreme Court uh, has on its plate right now. I mean, Obamacare is a big issue that will make or break with the Supreme Court. Uh, with the justices we have right now, abortion issues um, or pro-life issues, depending on how you want to look at it, are you know kind of up for interpretation. So there are you know some big issues. But, but on Ruth Bader Ginsburg and her dying wish um, of not having President Trump appoint her successor, I like... 
the, the word that was used until a new president is installed. And I don't know if that was like if she had this dying wish written down. Uh, have you seen that? Or if it was... I've heard of it, yeah. Or videotaped. But I would like to see if this... I, I would like to see it in her handwriting or in her voice that this is not that I think the dying wish should be honored. However... I question whether or not she actually had that dying wish. I mean, a dying wish of that nature that you're going to interrupt the stability of a nation on replacing a Supreme Court justice, I would think should be written down with a signature or something on it. I think we should follow exactly what the Constitution says about dying wishes in the dying wish clause. (laughs) Oh, it's not there? Well, then uh, (laughs) there's, there's our answer. Yeah. So anyway, but I thought the word installed, not elected. But when a new president is installed, is what Maxine Waters said. And uh, so I think that's some dangerous language because I fear that regardless of who wins in this election come November 3rd, we are going to have mass chaos. And this new concept, oh, well, we're going to stack the court if, um, if, if Trump nominates and pushes through a Supreme Court justice. It's almost if I've never heard that. Have you ever heard that? <laughs> yes. Well, you know, I mean, going all the way back to Marbury versus Madison, the Supreme Court has assumed power that was not explicitly given to it in the Constitution. And I'm I, you know, Jamie, I'm I'm struggling how for well over 200 years now, 220 years almost we've we have allowed a creation of the Constitution, the Supreme Court, to assert authority over its creator and the other two branches of government, Um, you know. The fact that they've let it stand, I, I guess, says a lot for, uh, you know, the, the generations that have come between now and then. But um, I, I just I think we've we're at a very unhealthy place in American history. If if we are hanging our hats and the, the whole you know course of our government hinges on is it a conservative or is it a you know liberal sitting in, in one of those seats or an activist or a non-activist or a strict constructionist? Yeah, it is dangerous. Um, But, you know, it does concern me that we don't have enough um, boundaries set on how many justices we can appoint. appoint. So easily, if the Democrats win the House and the Senate and uh, the presidency on November 3rd, they could stack the court. And and the detriment that that would do to our to our faith in our our system, but uh, the faith in the Supreme Court would be detrimental, and to bring in four or five more justices to undo any impact that um, the conservative justices have on there. But again, this is not a new threat. This is a threat they've been issuing for the last two years, that they're going to stack the court as soon as they have regained the power. So anyone that is looking at and, and you feel like that's healthy, then and then I guess you want to vote in a straight Democratic ticket. But if you feel like that's unhealthy, then you may, we need to make sure that we maintain a balance of power and, uh, and that they do not get back the House and the Senate and the Chamber. So when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about filling uh, that seat and a little bit more on my favorite Utah politician, Mitt Romney, and uh, get into what... I- some might consider conspiracy theory. I consider that we really should be looking at Met a lot more and that the news media has an obligation to ask Met what he knew and when he knew it and what he was involved in because it is my belief that Mitt Romney joined in with Comey, Clapper, and Brennan in the very beginning of this coup against our president. So back on the tr- Trump tater in a few minutes. USA Radio News with Chris Barnes. President Trump says he has a short list of finalists of nominees to fill the Supreme Court vacancy created by the death of liberal justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg on Friday. Nominees who believe in applying the Constitution as written. The president says he's planning to nominate a woman this week, and he expects the Republican-controlled Senate would move quickly to approve his choice. But Democrats are staying optimistic about getting enough GOP defections to block such a vote before the election. Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer says it was Ginsburg's dying wish that her seat stay open until after Election Day. And we only need two more senators to say that they will abide by RBG's wish. 
Tropical Storm Beta threatening to bring very heavy rains and storm surge to Texas. It could hit near Galveston later today. This is USA Radio News. Okay, some good news during a challenging time for everybody, and this could really help. You may know hundreds of thousands of people have already made the switch to MediShare, which is the affordable alternative to health insurance. And with so many people looking at how they pay for health care right now, seeing premiums going up or the cost of COBRA plans, MediShare has extended their special offer, and a lot of people have taken advantage of it. Simply apply by September 30th, and they will waive your new member fee. That's $170 savings. And, of course, that's just a start. The typical family saves $500 a month after making the switch. MediShare is a Christian community that shares each other's health care costs, and it's worked beautifully for decades. I'll give you the number here in a second, and if you call, you can get a price within two minutes. Just tell them the promo code SHARE to get your additional savings. Here it is. Call 833-34-BIBLE. That's 833-34-BIBLE. 833-34-BIBLE. Over 100,000 acres have now burned from the Bobcat Fire in the mountains northeast of Los Angeles. At the L.A. County Fire Department, Sky Cornell says some terrain is very treacherous and firefighters are being held back from certain areas. You've got terrain that is this steep and so difficult to get to, nearly impossible in some areas just because it's just too dangerous to have our firefighters go across that steep of a train. A white business owner charged with manslaughter for fatally shooting a black man during a May 30th protest in Omaha has died by suicide days after his indictment. Lawyers for Jacob Gardner saying his body was found Sunday outside a medical clinic in Hillsboro, Oregon. The U.S. Department of Justice now classifying three cities as jurisdictions of violence and property destruction, saying in a statement today, the local leadership in New York City, Portland, Oregon, and Seattle have been permitting persistent violence and destruction of property. This is USA Radio News. Welcome back to the Trump Tater. I'm Jamie Rendon. I have Brian Hyde on with me as a guest today. And uh, so there's two recurring themes that you're probably going to hear on this podcast. And the first is my disdain for Mitt Romney. And the second is uh, on race relations. So we're going to touch both of those in the next two segments and uh, start out with my my feelings on our lovely senator from Utah, Mitt Romney. Um, so I've been out there for some time now, the last two years, talking about the I believe, and I, I'll quantify that, that Mitt Romney, Paul Ryan, and uh, and John McCain were in on this conspir- conspiracy to bring down our president prior to uh, President Trump getting elected. And I don't think it's just strictly, you know, just grabbing at straws on this, Brian. If you look at the behavior of these three individuals, we already know that the FBI had that dossier. Uh, is that how you say it? Dossier, dossier? Uh, in their dossier possession. works for me. Dossier, okay. It's kind of a weird word. I mean, it's one that we've never heard prior to this, or at least those of us who are not uh, as well-versed in vocabulary. <laughs> that wasn't one of those everyday words that I used. And uh, so anyway, we already know that they had it in their possession. But yet John McCain felt it important to send one of his staff members halfway across the world to bring it back so he could make a public display of giving this to the intelligence community. And uh, I found that odd in the beginning. But the more we've learned about it, the more odd I find that that uh, this public display was so necessary for John McCain. And, and so that's one element. But uh, but I look at Mitt Romney from the very beginning. I mean, he was just completely beside himself. And then I look at the impact in Utah that uh, we had everyone from Mike Lee, uh, Spencer Cox, um, you know, somebody I'm watching right now that's probably going to replace uh, Rob Bishop is Blake Moore. I like Blake, but he he voted for Evan McMullen. We had all these people from Utah they ended up casting their vote for this Evan McMullen. And what do you know about Evan? <laughs> I, I think I agree with uh, with Joe Carey's assessment of uh, Evan is the spoiler. But, but he was more than just a spoiler. What did Evan know? He was former uh, CIA. Mm-hmm. And so I'm sitting here. What did Evan tell these key leaders in Utah 
about Trump that made everyone turn against our party's nominee here in Utah. The key leaders in Utah all turned on uh, on supporting uh, Trump. And I remember attending my caucus meeting, and I was a Ted Cruz supporter. Actually, I was a Ben Carson supporter initially, but by the time we got down to the, the caucus, Ben was not in it, and so Ted Cruz was. So I didn't go there with any intention of really having to defend um, Donald Trump. And uh, But my goodness, it was the animosity and the hatred towards John- Donald Trump at my Republican caucus meeting was horrible. And I thought, where did this come from? I mean, they were, I was just like totally taken back. So I actually had to get up at my caucus meeting and defend the man and uh, who I wasn't planning on voting for in the, uh, in the primary. But I thought, where did this rumor mill come from in the LDS community here in Utah? And the main source I see is Evan McMullen and the fact that he was CIA and something, you know, back then, now we can start connecting the dots now that we know uh, the, really treasonous acts of our intelligence community on spying on a presidential candidate and those that were associated with that presidential candidate and even taken down of a a retired general general flynn and so i had to i started putting these pieces together i i um was a state delegate in 2018 met with mitt romney on a couple of different occasions and i just did not find him and i supported him in 2008 2012 I would have supported him in 2016, too. Um, I hate to say that, but I would have had he had, he had the cojones. Joe will tell me I can't say that uh, to have stuck it out. But uh, anyway, and he didn't because he was under this impression that uh, Jeb Bush was going to get all the big money. But he was originally in that big uh, group of Republicans running for president back in 2016. He was one of the very first to drop out. And he dropped out because, again, he thought Jeb Bush was going to get all the big money. Um, but had he stayed in, the odds are I probably would have supported him. And But uh, anyway, by the time I 2018 rolls around, I'm starting to have a completely different feeling about Mitt Romney. But specifically when I met with him and talked to him about his comments that he made right after the Charlottesville incident happened. And uh, immediately he said, you know, you, there's no comparison between, uh, well, he, he said when Trump said the good and bad people on both sides. And I said, do you even know that, you know, anything about Antifa? So I confronted him at a meeting and he points his finger down my throat and tells me and starts being totally self-righteous on me as if I know nothing about what's going on. But as in our previous uh, podcast, I talked about my efforts on the Confederate flag. So I knew these people that Trump was talking about. And even though it was my belief that the Confederate flag should not be flying and that it had been flown for hateful and racist purposes, most of the people I met with were good people. I mean, there were definitely some racist and bad people among them, but most of them were good people. So this was my first face-to-face interaction with Mitt Romney. And uh, so I thought, maybe he doesn't know who Antifa is. But still to date, he has not criticized Antifa Two and a half years later, he's not said one negative word about Antifa. And uh, so, again, and if you watched how Paul Ryan behaved, Speaker of the House, he finally ended up resigning before his term was even over or stepping down and, and, uh, and saying he's not going to be in public office. But the way Paul Ryan behaved as Speaker of the House from the very beginning with Trump, he undermined every step that Trump took, every policy that was important to Trump. So I think there was this team effort. If... Trump's not accomplishing the things he had promised on one hand, and then these negative things are coming out on the other, that surely he would resign or they'd be able to push him out of office. And so I believe it was intentional on Paul Ryan's uh, part on slow rolling uh, initiatives like getting the wall funded, encouraging Trump to sign the largest spending bill without any money for the wall in it. And, uh, And so Trump, I mean, right after the election, Trump came out and and even like on Hillary Clinton, and uh, he said, you know, on the whole locker up, he says, you know, let's leave the past in the past. Let's move forward to the future. And I think that's how he approached many things when he took office. And I think he, had he not had this hate and these accusations constantly placed before him, we would have seen a completely different president. And uh, I would just be absolutely amazed to have seen what he could have accomplished without all this against him because he accomplished a whole lot. But back back on Mitt Romney is 
and I won't ask you to, unless you just want to give me your feedback. <laughs> but uh, uh, on Mitt Romney, Paul Ryan, and John McCain, I don't even think Jeff Flake could have been in on that, but I definitely do not believe that Comey and Brennan and Clapper and the Republicans and Hillary Clinton would have tried to pull off an, a, a political coup against a presidential candidate without the support of Republicans. What do you think, Brian? Oh, I think there was help from the Republican side. And, and you know, I, this, this is one of the reasons why partisan politics is uh, distasteful at best, even if it is part of the world we live in. Um, so it's, it's clear that even, even within the Democratic and Republican Party, there are people who are so focused on power, that's where they're going to go. It's, it's not about what's right. It's about what works. Machiavelli in the great beyond is looking on going, yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> Just as I told you. <laughs> so as Republicans, um, we need to, and heck, if I was the media, why hasn't there been any accountability on the media? I mean, do these questions not go through a reporter's mind now that all the information's came out uh, against um, our intelligence community on these FISA warrants, on, the, um, on how they try to take down General Flynn? I mean, all these things are starting to come out, but yet there's no one asking about Mitt Romney. There's no one asking about why John McCain did what he did. And, uh, and, and again, even like on John McCain, on being the sole senator that undid us repelling Obamacare when he had, you know, told his constituents that he was going to go and repel Obamacare. But it was strictly to undermine Trump every step of the way that's been their intentions. And Paul Ryan, I think that's all actually one of the reasons Paul Ryan probably stepped aside is that things were starting to come in and he felt it was and he wanted to back away from it but uh, again Paul Ryan, Mitt Romney, John McCain I believe there were others but these three I definitely believe were complicit in the political coup that was being uh, against our president with the intelligence community Democrats and uh, so please put pressure on the media, put pressure on your politicians and asking Mitt what his involvement was, what he knew and when he knew it, because we know that Evan McMullen was a member of the CIA intelligence community, and somehow he gave some information out to the people of Utah that convinced them not to support our Republican nominee in 2016. So when we get back on the Trump Tater, we're going to discuss Black Lives Matter and some changes they've recently made in their platform. We'll be back in the Trump Tater in a minute. Thank you. About to hear a commercial for a very unique mortgage team that has a very specific advantage that could save your family monthly and lifelong money. Two things you should know. One, we were started by a dad and his son and his wife and his sister-in-law, and we've grown to be a faith-focused mortgage team that's helping families across the U.S. We're faith and family at our core, and we don't hide it. Two, we've still stayed fairly small, on purpose. We're only about a couple dozen people, a makeup that we believe lets us truly know every person that calls. But we also have a big advantage. Our company is a direct lender which means our company gets to use its own money and make its own decisions within its own walls, a reality that often allows us to get you a better rate, which could save you monthly and lifelong money. We are United Faith Mortgage at unitedfaithmortgage.com. United Faith Mortgage is a DBA of United Mortgage Corp. 25 Melville Park Road, Melville, New York. Licensed mortgage banker. For all licensing information, go to animalistconsumeraccess.org. Corporate animalist number 1330. Equal housing lender. Not licensed in Alaska, Hawaii, Georgia, Massachusetts, Mississippi, Montana, North Dakota, South Dakota, or Utah. The healthcare enrollment period has just ended. Did you miss it? Don't go a whole year without having a health care program. Sign up for Liberty Health Share today. As a Christian health care sharing ministry, they are not insurance. So you can still sign up. There's no open enrollment period. You can sign up now and you can pick the program of your choice. You get to select your doctors and your hospital. They have programs for single individuals, for couples, and families. Best of all, there are no contracts. 
and plans start at only $199 per month. Go to libertyhealthshare.org backslash Joe Carey. That's libertyhealthshare.org backslash Joe Carey, K-E-R-R-Y. With a recession ending, if you've been putting off building your business, now is the time to act. General Steel will meet or beat any price on a pre-engineered steel building of the same size and specifications. Act now before steel prices go up. So call us today for free information. Call 800-965-1290. Hi, this is Stan Ellsworth. You know, I know a little bit about history. I mean, me and that Harley and all. But social media, well, that's a mystery to me. So I turned to the good folks at Little Cloud. They helped me develop my social media. They call it an online footprint. I'm a pretty big guy. Little Cloud, they've created a pretty big online presence for me. Let them help you. Visit their website. Visit my friends at littlecloudmedia.com. Welcome back to the Trump Tater, and uh, we're going to kind of make this transition on my favorite politician uh, with all sarcasm quotes around that, uh, Mitt Romney. Again, I'm just going to one more push. Please push and call reporters, call other people on asking why they're not giving, you know, questioning Mitt Romney, Paul Ryan on what their involvement is now that we know what we know. So into our next segment, final segment on Black Lives Matter and on race relations. So Black Lives Matter recently, they had kind of this We Believe system on their national um, uh, webpage and what some of their uh, goals are. And one of them was dismantling the nuclear family. Um, now, I, as I read that in its entirety, there were some issues. And I could see, especially, you know, within the um, black American community, there's a lot of single mothers who d- definitely probably need help. And so they, they phrase things and you know, raising families in the village and and helping each other out. So that's, you know, extremely probably I could see from their point of view on that, on why that might be included. But it was the dismantling of the nuclear family that bothered me. It's not, you know, we need to reach out and help and that we need to be there for one another. I can get that. But uh, this need for having a dismantle of the Western quotations, uh, nuclear family. And so they have since deleted that, Brian. And uh, what do you think on that? What, what is? I think that's a pretty big warning sign, like bright red flashing warning sign. Um, if, if I and OK, so do, did they say why they deleted it or did it just quietly go down the memory hole or? It quietly went down. What Mm. they did, instead of having their belief section, they have an about section. And in their about section, they no longer have that as uh, part of their mission statement. And that, they were getting a lot, a lot of pushback from everyone. But specifically, they were getting it uh, from black Americans on because they've already seen the destruction of the nuclear family within black America. And so they were getting pushback from a lot of conservative black leaders, but I think they were getting pushed back from uh, everyone within the black community that does not feel that that's in the black community's interest in having a total dismantling of the nuclear family. It's curious to me that uh, that they would need good optics. And I'm saying this based on some of the activists that I've seen out there walking into restaurants, disrupting people's dinners, you know, getting in their faces and, you know, forcing them, you will do the salute, you know, sort of stuff. It seems like they really wouldn't be worried so much about what, what the optics are on something, but <laughs> may, maybe that was maybe that was more than than uh, they were willing to to risk. Well, you know, one of the things that uh, uh, you mentioned during our break is that a, a recent article that you've read. Can you kind of summarize that and and let's kind of play with maybe wh- how that had an impact on who's running Black Lives Matter? Yeah, this I saw this actually this morning on uh, LouRockwell.com. And I got to see if I can find this real quick. It's a it's an article on the UNZ report, UNZ report, and uh, it talks about uh, it talks about how essentially it's it's a front. 
it's a very well-organized, very well-funded front for the world's elite. And yes, that would include people like George Soros. So, you know, grab the tinfoil hat and, you know, push it down nice and tight. But uh, it's they're, they're a tool, not even so much of the Democratic Party, but of the unelected people who nonetheless like to exercise the chains of power. And it's in their interest for us to be fighting each other in the streets rather than looking at how they're influencing public policy, not just here in the U.S., but, but around the world. Exactly. You know, and speaking around the world, uh, prior to the coronavirus and prior to these racial um, tensions and outbreak of these riots and, and everything, the momentum for conservative governments were really uh, was really kind of rolling along and other other nations around the world. So I, I think you're right. It's not just what they're wanting to influence in America, but what they're wanting to influence worldwide uh, and uh, and stop this conservative movement worldwide. So I'm always going to put give a push because why I support President Trump. Now I get I get heat all the time because I support Trump at my at my business at Brixton's Baked Potato in Ogden, Utah. I have a big banner that says we love and support our president. And so the first thing people want to throw out there is you're a racist and because I support Trump. And uh, sometimes I defend myself because of what I've done personally on prison reform and civil rights issues. But I want to take the last few minutes here on defending our president again. And this came from I follow a lot of different um, black conservatives on social media. There are so many <laughs> black conservatives out on social media right now. And uh, our social media platforms do their best on shutting down black conservative voices. Uh, I see several that will build up their following and all of a sudden their whole platform's dismantled right there. And and these are people that built up a following and put money and time and effort into it and were making an income. They were making a living off their social media platforms. And then um, Facebook or Twitter uh, will just rip the very foundation out from these uh, black conservatives. So this is uh, Edward Wise, who I follow a little bit. He's not one of the um, more well-known black conservatives out there. But he mentions, he says, well, if Trump is a racist, this is what racist people do. And, uh, and, and so he goes on, on this list that racist people would not do this, 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 this. So I'm going to, because we're kind of short on time, he goes on to list what Trump has done that he didn't have to do if he was a real racist because a real racist wouldn't go on and do these things. But he says, African-American unemployment has recently achieved the lowest rate ever recorded. President Trump was successful in passing historic bipartisan criminal justice reform known as the First Step Act. Trump signs a bill restoring funding for black colleges and universities. President Trump has also made fighting for historically black colleges and universities a major priority. His administration in one year appropriated more money to historically black colleges than any other president. $32 million in two years, more than Obama did in all of the eight years Obama was president. The Trump administration has also worked to create opportunity zones and spur investment of disadvantaged communities, impacting as many as 1.4 minority households. These zones are put in priority on rebuilding and bettering many African-American communities that have long been forgotten under prior administrations. Record number of African-Americans have been lifted up off the food stamps. Trump nominee nominates the first black female federal judge, Stephanie Davis. Trump nominates the Marine, uh, Marines uh, to be the first black female general, uh, Lorna um, Moloch. Uh, Trump pardons African-Americans, including Betty Johnson and Jack Johnson. Trump signs proclamation on the 50th anniversary of the assassination of Dr. Martin Luther King. Trump, paid, uh, Trump host, and he's hosted many, many, many of these. It's not just one or two uh, black conservative leaders at the White House. I, I think Trump's hosted more uh, black Americans at the White House than Obama ever did. Uh, from historical black colleges, uh, from the young African-Americans that are supporting him. I mean, he's just had all kinds of um, events there hosted for, um, for the black community. President Trump stands uh, with blacks in Florida who support school choice. This is a big one. This is one that I really believe scares the Democrats more than anything because black men have been really attracted to Trump, but black women have kind of um, not been as attracted to Trump. But school choice is really important 
to mothers in the black community. And so Trump's support of school choice um, in this, I think, is starting to pull more black women on his team. Anyway, I have a list of 25 here. The partner, uh, the uh, giving clemency to Alice Johnson and now partnering, uh, giving her a pardon. Um, it's just on and on the things that he has done uh, in the black community. And so when people want to throw the racist term out there for Trump, it's like, come on, <laughs> he's done more. And he didn't have to because he didn't win with the black vote. And that's what this guy points out is he didn't win with our vote. He probably doesn't need our vote now, but imagine what he could do if he had the black vote. So I'm going to close on just a, a message that I will continue giving out there. And the most power, powerful thing the black community has is their vote because they vote 10% Republican, 90% Democrat. So a 30-point swing in that, Brian, changes elections, and it makes the black vote the most powerful vote in America. So reach out if, if you happen to be a black American. Pass this on. Right now with the vote being so disparate, the, the, the disparity of this vote, this 10, 90 percent, and no, not being fluid at all. If the black community just made their vote fluid, it doesn't have to be all Republican one year. It just needs to be fluid. It would be the most power that the black community could exercise. It's not in writing. It's not in all these things that are taking place now. The power is in the black vote. And when you have a 10% to 90% uh, ratio and a 30% swing changes national elections. So I'd just like to close on that note that Trump has been an incredible leader for all Americans. And uh, we'll see you tomorrow back on the Trump Tater. And Brian, do you have any closing comments? Nope. Well done. I look forward to your host, Dallas Larson. I'm kidding, Dallas. Johnson <laughs> coming back. All right. Thank you, Brian, for persist- uh, working with me this morning on this.